Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Debt Discussion for another Monday night, November 13th. That's Monday the 13th of 2017. It's hard to believe that we only have about five weeks to the shortest day of the year. And then they'll start getting longer. Of course, we don't get daylight savings time back till early March, but yeah. Such is life, you know. You've got to take the good with the bad. Well, let's just go to sleep from then until March. Yeah, there you go. But I do want to welcome everybody. Uh, as usual, I'm going to do a quick disclaimer and tell everybody that if you want legal advice, you're in the wrong place. You need to go and find a bar-licensed attorney and you know, look them up in the phone book, online, wherever, because they are the ones that are licensed to provide legal advice. We aren't licensed to provide legal advice. And on top of that, we have no idea what it is. Um, So we couldn't dispense it if we really wanted to. In fact, I'd be in dire straits if my life depended on it because I still couldn't do it. (laughs) So anyway, you're not going to find legal advice here. We do talk about legal issues, we talk about the courts, we talk about the the, uh, debt collection industry and uh, the things associated with it in large part. And uh, if you are looking for that legal advice, you definitely are in the wrong place. Now, we are more than happy to uh, share, and when I say we, I'm talking about the moderators and even other uh, individuals on the call that uh, have had litigation experience, but we are more than happy to share our experience and uh, ours generally is going to refer to John and Terry and myself the uh, moderators we are all litigators in federal court we all have uh, uh, a fair amount of uh, litigation experience but please keep in mind it doesn't mean we are experts not by any stretch of the imagination we've studied a lot we've experienced a lot and different things in the cases that we've had. We've had a a pretty substantial amount of, uh, in fact, a very substantial amount of success, uh, even at the appellate level. John is one at the uh, 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Terry is one at the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. I went to the uh, 5th Circuit Court of Appeals, and I really was trying to push an issue. When I did that, I did not prevail there, Uh, but you can't say I didn't try. So uh, we've had a lot of other uh, things that uh, we have done that didn't go to the uh, appellate court, though. So uh, and, and we've had quite a bit of experience with that. But the bottom line is we're here to share our knowledge and experience with you to help you learn about the courts, about the proper use of the courts. And, and the key word there is proper, because uh, if you don't use the courts properly, you're probably not going to have a good outcome in whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're a defendant or 
whether you're a plaintiff. And, and it doesn't matter whether you're in a state court, state level of some sort, whether it be small claims or uh, maybe a district level or superior level, as they call them in some states, or whether you're in the federal court system. If you don't know the rules of the court, if you don't follow the rules of the court, more than likely you're not going to have a good outcome. So uh, that's one of the things that we do stress is you need to learn the rules of the court if you expect to be successful. And you have to be able to write coherent writings to submit to the court, and that goes everywhere from your initial complaint all the way through various uh, other documents, uh, such as uh, possibly the uh, uh, opposition to a motion to dismiss or an opposition to summary judgment. You have to understand what these are and how to go about arguing them and, and what are the key things that you have to do and that you have to provide. So it's it's all about education. That's what we're here for. We don't do the work for anybody. <coughs> Excuse me. We've had plenty of people that have asked us to do work for them and write things for them and go over their documents and critique them. I'm sorry, but we just can't do that. There's way too many of you, and there's only a handful of us. There's only uh, several of us, you know, Jesse and Larry and John and myself and Terry. Uh, we used to have Jeff with us, uh, unfortunately. Uh, he decided to retire permanently uh, in July of last year. It's hard to believe. It's been about 16 months that he's been gone. We miss him dearly. We had many, many good conversations, but uh, <clears throat> those, uh, all of us that are moderators have had a pretty substantial amount of uh, litigation experience. So again, we speak from a, a, a base of knowledge, not only from experience, but an awful lot of study, but we're not experts. So with all of that said, uh, what we always do every week, and by the way, good evening, Sir John. John has joined us. Good evening. And how are you tonight? Pretty good. Just got back from walking the dog. Yep. I got my walk in before dinner, and then I ran and, and got my dinner and did a little bit of cleaning up and straightening up around here. We have our annual city apartment inspection tomorrow, so, you know, I'm subject to that. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, there's been some things that I've, I've put off just, you know, kind of sorting through and straightening out around here, so I was doing some of that today. But uh, anyway, we all start our calls with good news, and the reason we do that is very simply, we hear plenty of the crap out there. And uh, in fact, I'm going to read you something interesting that I, I got an email today that uh, I think everybody will uh, kind of appreciate to some degree, no matter what age group you're in, because it is about millennials. And of course, there's always push and pull between different age groups. I'm a baby boomer, and of course the millennials are behind us, as, as are just about all groups. Uh, but uh, anyway, we'll get to that in a little bit. But we want to hear anybody's good news, because we want to hear about good things that are happening to people, and that can come in any number of forms, you know, uh, getting a settlement worked out on some kind of an issue, or maybe getting a settlement check. That's always nice, uh, or anything else. So if anybody has got any good news, you can just go ahead and speak up and bring us that good news now. You don't have to hit star 8 to get in the queue. Goodness. 
Well, all right. We have uh, a few less people litigating right now. I do know that. And then uh, the amount of litigation is down some from what it's been in the past. So, you know, there aren't going to be as many people presenting that. Um, <clears throat> I did get a uh, an email from uh, Craig this afternoon, Craig Perry, who is one of the attorneys that uh, we work with, and he's the one that uh, helped Terry win her case in the uh, 11th Circuit. Um in the uh he has cases in the MDL that I'm in with Midland and uh he sent me an email unfortunately uh, he attached the wrong document to it but uh it seems that one of the attorneys uh the plaintiff's attorneys that was in there uh was going to be one of the representative counsels in the uh uh new cases going on in the MDL and he evidently wanted some fees that the court said he couldn't have so he says okay, I'm out of here. I'm not going to waste my time. Now, I don't know any details about it, but it was just kind of interesting. Like I said, Craig sent me, uh, inadvertently sent me the wrong document. He sent me a copy okay. of the complaint. Okay, explain that again. One of the plaintiff's attorneys. Yeah, one of the plaintiff's attorneys evidently wanted to be paid for certain things, and the court said no, he wasn't going to be able to be paid for whatever I, I don't know the details because, like I said, Craig uh, uh, inadvertently sent me the wrong document, and I, I haven't gone to the docket to look it up because I'm sure it's it's uh, uh, filed into the docket. But uh, <clears throat> so there's an attorney that wanted some money for work they were going to be doing, and the court said, "No, we're not going to let you get that." And the attorney says, "Okay, bye. I'm out of here." So. Uh, so he wasn't a plaintiff's attorney for a current case when in the Well, yeah, it, he I'm sure he was a plaintiff's attorney. It's Lemberg Law, Sergey Lemberg. And uh he he was a plaintiff's attorney, but it's a matter of whether you're going to be playing a part in representing the plaintiffs as a group in the MDL. Yeah, that's what I meant, the class. Yeah. yeah. So he was a plaintiff's attorney in a single one. Oh yeah, that's where everybody starts out. Okay. And then, so, and then some of them. Not, it wasn't that he's dumping on his client. He just no, 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 do no, the class no. stuff. No, he's just not going to do a bunch of work having to do with class issues and stuff like that. Because evidently, he he must have thought that uh, whatever he uh, wanted to be paid for, that they said no, was worth being paid paid for. So you know, this is just one of these little technical things that goes on in there. But um, another delay. Well, but the other delay was last week I got uh, paperwork sent to me where there was a, uh, a motion for a 30-day enlargement of time to answer the uh, complaint, the class action complaint starting all over again in the MDL with the new cases. Uh, it was a stipulated agreement between the parties for a 30-day enlargement of time to answer the complaint. So there's another 30 days out the window. And, you know, I've been dealing with this stuff since early 2014. So I'm going on four years, and at the rate it's going here, it's going to be another three or four years before anything's going to happen, it would appear, because evidently they're not going to uh, send my cases back to Texas, which they had asked to uh, ask the court to do. Evidently the court said no, and I haven't been able to find out the, any details on that yet. So There is just no reasonable reason. Well, well, 
but everybody, you need to get used to one thing when you deal in the legal arena here. The wheel of justice turns slowly. (laughs) And that's not an exaggeration. They can turn very, very slow at times. Very, very slow. And there can be delays and things put off like you just can't imagine. So, you know, it can happen. Other times things have a tendency to be sped up. Oh, you're you're exhibiting far more patience than I would have at this point, considering (laughs) that class that you were tied up with is done, it's over, it's It's gone. It's been done for 14 months. Exactly. The first class... Settlement your, was done and approved 14 months ago. And your cases have absolutely nothing to do with a new one in the, any kind of imagination. No. But everybody that's gotten hornswoggled into this thing, you know, I've found out stuff. Basically, Midland is trying to put things off and slow things down and see if the D.C. circuit. I know. Uh, will change some of the definitions, but I don't think that's going to happen where it's going to benefit them. No. And with the ace in the hole that I have, it's not going to make any difference anyway. No, it wouldn't. But the man could die before then. (laughs) I doubt that. Uh, You know what I mean. It is ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Well, I tell you... I'm looking here on the board, somebody put in here, Dave, baby boomers had it easy and you know it. Average baby boomer has a six-figure net worth or more uh, due to no other generation and had the opportunity to buy houses at 15 to 50K and then get a six figures of free money. And uh, I know an 87-year-old lady, she bought her house at a tiny 16K that came, it's worth 330. Well, no, that's all relative. Um, and that's not the average yeah. baby boomer either, I'm here to tell you. No, no. I'm a baby boomer. Dave's a baby boomer. He lives in an apartment that would fit in my office. And I live paycheck to paycheck, so no, no. No, that's, that's, don't, don't. Don't think that's typical, whoever the poster is there in guest six. My parents didn't Um, have that either. There's some people in that situation, yes, but if they invested in something many years ago, that's fine. But it's it's not uh, it's not all that uh, appear it appears to be on the surface. But um, you know, and I'm not talking about the money end of things here. I made a comment earlier. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to go to this document and uh, I'm going to read this. Uh, And I I want everybody to understand my reason for bringing this up. And when you hear what's going on here, it's got nothing to do with money. Okay? We're not talking about money. We're talking about some things that are all too obvious to just about anybody in this world that has got their eyes open and can hear anything, even if they need a hearing aid. Okay? I don't need a hearing aid. My husband? Okay, go ahead. (laughs) But anyway, um, I I, I get 
a, a number of emails. I get information from a lot of different places. And I read this today, and I thought, you know, this is something I need to read on the call. And, you know, this is to just provoke some thinking, just to provoke a little thought. You know, we might have a little discussion about this here, but and, and this isn't by any stretch of the imagination uh, starting into you know the class warfare. Oh, yeah, damn millennials and and they can say, well, yeah, you baby boomers, you did yeah, this, it, it, and it, it, Generation it, it, Xers, you did this. And, no, hold no. Hold on no. a second, Dave. I would like to just make one salient point here for anybody who thinks that that's even slightly true. Um, when I got out of high school, and I'm a baby boomer, so are you, minimum wage was $1.75, okay? So if you were buying a house, if it was $16,000 at minimum wage of $1.75, what on earth makes you think it was any different than minimum wage being, what, $8 now and a house costing you two hundred k? Yeah. It's it's all relative. It's all relative. I mean, we yep. worked our butts off. Yep. Okay, but there's some things that we didn't have to deal with then that are out here today, and that's kind of the tip of what I'm going to read here. Anyway, this was written by Bill Bonner. Uh, he's chairman of Bonner and Partners. He's been around, uh, if you've ever heard of Agora Publishing, he's uh, the owner of it. Yep. Uh, Bill Bonner's been around for many, many, many years. I don't care for his style of writing and for the most part, but this was something that really struck me here. Uh, this is Delray Beach, Florida. The problem with millennials, what's wrong with them? In front of us was a group of young women tying their surfboards on top of their Jeep. Now remember, this is Delray Beach, Florida. At first glance, nothing at all. They had come from a nearby surf camp and were enjoying a girls-only holiday. Some were dressed in shorts and shirts, others barely dressed at all. One standing on the door frame, stretching to attach the surfboard to the roof, was a picture of health and pulchritude. Pul <laughs> That's an interesting word. She caught our attention. At first, we thought she had forgotten to put on the bottom part of her bathing suit. Then we realized that she was wearing a string bikini, scarcely evident to the naked eye. The skimpy outfits invited attention, but the looks we were getting denied hospitality. We wanted to stare, but we could only get away with a furtive glance. What are you doing here? The scowl seemed to ask. It was a public beach. We were out checking out the property next door, which is for sale. What gives, we wondered. Well, it's a whole new world. We have been talking about the future. It is not always better. Sometimes technology makes it worse. Sometimes government gets in the way. And sometimes changes seem to take place with no apparent cause. To put this into context, we were attending a business conference in Nicaragua. Most attendees were in their 20s or 30s. You've got to be careful, a colleague began. It's a whole new world. These young women have a much different attitude from the older women. 
They expect to be protected from everything, including you. Your editor was briefly flattered. He'd begun to think he crossed into the age where a man is more likely to be an embarrassment than a threat. And, of course, Bill is older like me. One of them, an attractive woman, and she wears attractive clothes, complained because the men in the office kept asking her on dates. She said it was a hostile work environment. It doesn't sound hostile to me, we replied. That sounds friendly. You can't joke about it, our friend continued. You can't joke about anything. I told a joke to a group of employees. I thought it was a harmless, innocent joke. I did it only because they asked me to tell a joke, and it was the only one I could think of. But one of the young women said she found it offensive. Here's the joke. See what you think. An old woman goes into a bar. She says, I'll have sex with anyone who can guess what I have in my handbag. One of the guys at the bar tries to humor her, so he says, let me guess. You've got an elephant. The woman says, no, but that's close enough. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's funny. Is that funny? I don't know. But I can't see who could be offended by it. That's the thing. These millennials are hypersensitive. They have no sense of humor. And they have a whole set of politically correct hot buttons. I mean, you can't say a person is black or oriental. It doesn't make sense because there's nothing offensive about saying someone is white or occidental. But you have to say African American and Asian. And you can't say someone is a Jew. You have to say he's Jewish. Again, it doesn't make sense. Because you wouldn't say someone is Christianish. And you can't say that someone is fat or crippled or retarded or a halfwit. I know you say those things in your diary. And I guess you get away with it because you're not writing to young people. Victim status. And don't call them girls, our colleague warned. Oh, why not, we protested lamely. I wouldn't mind if they called me a boy. Well, you are out of it completely. Young women have somehow managed to make themselves into a victim group. Women live longer. They have more money. They have more education. They elect the president and Congress, but they still think they are victims entitled to special treatment. Victim status means you can't challenge their claims. If they feel you have a hostile work environment, it is a hostile work environment. And it goes beyond just the words. The kids in public schools aren't allowed to play tag because it involves touching one another. And they teach them that gender is a choice or optional. No wonder they come out with such strange ideas. If gender were optional, it wouldn't make sense to treat women as a victim class. 
After all, they chose to be women, didn't they? It would be like someone who chooses to be a turkey and then complains because Thanksgiving is coming. But these things don't have to be logical. These millennials, not just women, think they should be protected from everything, especially from ideas. We had one young woman complain because there was another woman in the office who was pregnant. She said it made her feel uncomfortable to work with someone who was going to have a baby. And when we have office events with food, they don't just want the vegetarian option, but also the gluten-free and the lactose-free options. How about immoral ideas? It's getting worse. I had one employee come up to me after you wrote about those monuments in Baltimore that the city had removed. And we all know about the monuments that are getting removed and all that stuff from around the country. And how ridiculous yeah. that is. Yep. She said she didn't want to work for a racist company. I explained that you were just exploring ideas and what they mean. And you were entitled to your opinions. That's what freedom of speech is all about. It allows us to speak to one another so that bad ideas, like weeds, are exposed and rooted out. But these people don't want to explore ideas. They want to be protected from them. And a lot of things that you and I believe in, such as the First Amendment, freedom, and capitalism, they think are immoral. I don't know where this came from or where it is going, but I bet it's somewhere I don't want to go. Amen. Something to provoke a little thinking, everybody. With all the crap that's flying out here today, and I mean crap. crap. You know, I don't... I don't watch TV. I've said that numerous times. Any of you that listen very long know that. I don't want to listen to the noise because all the noise, the people whining about this stuff, oh, well, you know, I shouldn't be subjected to this and I shouldn't have to listen to that. And you can't say this without hurting my feelings and therefore I can sue you and it goes on endlessly. It's gotten to the point of being far, far past asinine. Ludicrous, absurd, ridiculous. There is, there is, there is no real one word that could no. even begin to describe what's happening. And there's, and there's only one solution. They all need to grow up, put on their big boy and girl pants, and deal with it. This is the real world. You know, I'm going to say there's a different solution, Terry. What? And the solution is more in line with what I'm doing. The longer you even pay one bit of attention to this crap that's said, this that's garbage that's spouted, the longer it's going to go on. Because what they really want is attention. They want a reaction. 
You know what, and Dave? If, well, I, hang on a second. Let me finish. And if you quit giving them the attention they seek and the reaction they're looking for, they're going to go find something else to do. You know what? The one reaction that they would never expect and I would love to see, it would just be without a single word spoken, without a single move made, but another one of the next time that there is some kind of veterans rally or, you know, some uh, speech being given by a conservative speaker or whatever, the next time Soros' minions pay Antifa to go in and, and stir up some trouble or Black Lives Matter or any of the other little, you know, trouble-starting groups, the next time that happens, Instead of reacting to them, everybody in that crowd should carry a mirror and just hold it up facing outward in front of them and let these idiots see themselves for what they are. Just don't react. They're looking for the reaction. They're trying to get under your skin. They're looking to get something back called attention. That's all I'm saying. You don't need signs. You don't need to say a damn thing. You don't need to defend your beliefs or your right to be doing what you're doing. Just, you know, hold up a mirror. You you need to see what you're looking like right now and what you're doing. And that's it. (laughs) But if, if people would not watch the news. I had a friend of mine I was talking to the other day that's finally starting to figure out why I don't watch the news, the national news, why I don't watch TV. Why they kick him off? <laughs> no, he 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 did he took out his watch and he timed everything in the national news, and this was ABC, sixty or thirty-minute national news evening. Thirty minutes. There was twenty minutes that was not commercial. So fully one third of the thirty minutes was commercials. Right now, of the remaining twenty minutes of actual broadcast, twelve minutes of and this is this was just within the last week, week to ten days. Twelve out of the twenty minutes was Trump bashing. Twelve out of you know, this is sixty percent of a national news broadcast within the last ten days was Trump bashing. And you can't call that news. You know, if you think that's an unbiased media where you're getting information, when you're getting the truth, I feel sorry for you because you don't have a clue. All you got to do is look at it. He, he timed it. He says, he says, you know, you've been telling me this for a long time. And I finally timed it. And his, his wife wants to watch the stuff. But 
like he says, he says, I'm just not watching this anymore. I'm just not watching it anymore. That's all manipulation, and you can't be well, manipulated if you don't engage. Well, that's that's my point. You know, what what happens with a bully? A bully picks on somebody because they want a reaction. It, you know, whatever reaction they're looking for, whether it's them to hit back or mouth off cry or engage, or who knows? You know, cry. It could be any number of things. But they are looking for a reaction. Absent a reaction, after a number of tries, they're going to go elsewhere. They're going to find something else to do, you guys. You become you need right. You need to quit engaging with any of this crap out here. You just have to disengage with it. And it doesn't matter whether it's something you're reading online. When you start getting into, you're reading something online and it's BS, stop. Close the window. Go do something else. Constructive, even if it's taking a walk, which is good exercise and everybody needs it. But quit engaging your mind and quit engaging your mouth. Don't get into the debates. A simple, a simple comment that can be an ending comment, and I've used it, I can't tell you how many thousands of times in my life, to end a conversation. You're entitled to your opinion. And anybody addicted to social media... Please, start doing a little bit of your own homework and research into why that even exists, what the purpose is, and where it's taking you. I don't do social media. You couldn't run fast enough to do social media. No, and it's about to get exceedingly dark, if it isn't dark enough already, which I think it is, but... um, but here again, Terry, you're entitled to your opinion, aren't you? Exactly. You're, right. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. But I'm also entitled to make the choice not to listen to someone else's opinion if I think it's bogus, bullcrap, or anything else that's not beneficial or useful to me in some way. So what I'm, once again, suggesting to everybody is, you know, if you're one of these people that's always watching the news and, you know, you're listening to all this stuff and, and you know, you got all the political, there's huge battles going on now. And the biggest battle that's raging up front right now, for anybody that doesn't know it, is Judge Roy Moore from Alabama won an election that the deep state thought they had in the bag and they poured in a huge amount of money into it. Roy Moore is a great, fantastic individual with a tremendous history of standing up for what's right in this country. And now all of a sudden, there's allegations of sex abuse. Now, of course. Isn't that... Is, well, hang on a second, Terry. Isn't that... 
the theme of the day At the and hour. who is the attorney that's standing next to this poor sobbing woman that all of a sudden she appears to be 50s or 60s, but it happened when she was 60, supposedly. But who's the attorney that's representing her other than the well-known Gloria. scumbag Gloria Allred? Yep. So, you know, all you got to do is look at it on the surface and go, well, they're playing really dirty, aren't they? They really don't want this guy in Washington, D.C. And who is one of the big names there? But the Speaker of the House McConnell saying, "Oh well, he should he should be out." Oh, of course. Should, it's not the Democrats, the Republicans. Oh wait a minute, the Republicans and the Democrats are the elite. They're the same group. See, all you got to do is connect a couple dots. You don't have to connect thirty-five of them. So they don't want him in there because he would do things to benefit the people rather than the elite. So they couldn't beat him honestly in the election, so they bring out the sex scandal, which is typical fair. So this is the kind of well, stuff that's, that's going Russia, on out Russia, here, Russia. <laughs> they, yeah. could, they couldn't beat him fair and square, so it's Russia, 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 and that's their favorite game. Accuse the opponent of what you did. Right. <laughs> it, it has worked forever. But the bottom line is, again, you got all these people out here spilling their guts about all of this stuff. Oh, this guy's really bad. This is... Disengage. Use your head. Think a little bit. But disengage from the nonsense. And your life will be a lot better for it. You'll have more time to actually do some fact-checking and find out more about what the truth really is instead of listening to mindless fake news, BS, political bias, and, you know, a thousand other things. So, you know, it's interesting, though, Dave, because I, I did hear the other day, based on Alabama law, um, if they do force him to step down, of course, he can't be removed from the ballot because it's too late. But that does not mean an automatic win for uh, the Democrats. If he actually does, if he if he goes ahead and gets elected, then they could choose not to seat him. But if he chooses at the last minute to step down under Alabama law, then that forces the election to be delayed again. Luther Strange stays in there until they arrange a whole new election and come up with another candidate. That's what happens. Yeah, but the end result is the good guy gets blocked out, and Luther Strange, who is part of the deep state group, stays yeah. in there. So no change in Washington. That's how the that's how the stuff yeah. works, guys. You know, but you don't have to be real smart to figure that out. It doesn't get compounded by you know losing the to the other deep state. Yeah. But but the the whole thing, the the, the whole heart of this thing, the, what I'm trying to get to here and why I read this uh email from Bill Bonner is 
if you listen to the millennials whine about all this stuff, they want to be protected from everything and everybody, including ideas. If you engage in more BS like this stuff, oh, well, he raped me when I was 16, and I'm 61 now. Well, wow, isn't it just amazing at this point in time that this stuff comes out? It's easy for somebody to say that. Look at all the women that came forward during the Trump campaign to say he had done this, that, and the other thing. Were any of them proven? No. Not a one. They weren't. you got to understand what's, what's behind it. But we, this is going to tell you a little more. Anybody that's you know even got their mind uh, turned on the, in the least bit, this is just that much more of a confirmation of what we've said for so long about the Republicans and Democrats being nothing but a facade. It's the elite. When you have people like McConnell that are trying to get rid of him, they're not even marching up the Democrats making a big stink about it. Nancy Pelosi isn't saying anything. It's the Republicans. And, you know, McConnell is one of the worst ones that's out there. All you got to do is look at what he's done. He, he and people like McCain and, and stuff like that, they've been around far too long, done far too much damage to this country. But the thing is, if you engage your ears and pay attention and take in this BS that's being presented, then you're subject to picking up those biases about things. And, well, you know, maybe he did it and this and that. Tune it out, folks. No, because if you're, if you're accused of something, you sure are hoping that American jurisprudence still holds and that you're innocent until proven guilty. So... If that's what your hope is for yourself, you had better be prepared to afford that to the other guy, too. That's right. It's easy for somebody to come forward and cry some fake tears and say, Oh, you did something to me uh, 45 years ago. Oh, my God, it was so terrible. And I've never said a word about it uh, in all these years. But now at a critical time in this man's life, I'm going to accuse him of something I have no proof of, and there's no way of proving it. So it's all character assassination just because people listen to it. Tune it out, please. You've got to understand how much of this is out there. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. This is just one simple example of it. Tune it out. Start doing your research for yourself. Pay attention to the truth. But just tune out the crap, please. Here, here. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, you know, Terry, I, I wasn't going to say anything. John, I'm going to tell tell everybody this. Um, I, I don't know what it is. You know, Terry, you you have your rat dar. You know, stuff that, you know, just gives you an uneasy feeling or something. It's always right. Yeah. Well, I've never really, you know, thought in terms of that. But I don't know what it is, but here in the last couple of days, I am getting a very, very 
uneasy feeling, and I have no idea what it means. Well, now I'm really but, glad well, you well, said that because I don't feel so alone. My rat dar's doing the boogaloo. I don't. I don't know. <coughs> I, I, I can't say as I. I can pinpoint anything that it's may be connected to anything that's been said or that I've seen or heard. I'm just getting a very uneasy feeling that something major is going to be happening. And I have no clue what it is. I don't know whether it's financial or or nothing. I I don't know. All I know is it's there, and I've kind of tried to sort it out and think, eh, it's just, just, just my imagination. Is it just a little bit of a... Mm, you know, like a mood swing, and I'm not a I'm not a moody individual, really. No, but but I'll tell you, you know, like I just said, my rat is doing the boogaloo. It's odd though, because it's not on a real um, personal level. When it's something that directly has to do with me, it's different. No, this is um, it's a foreboding that that brings behind it extreme sadness. Yeah, well, and I no. can't tell you what it is. I have no idea because I I don't always. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, not I, having the precognitive dream that usually goes along with it, but but I know what you're talking about. Go yeah. ahead. It, it it's very unusual for me to to have this feeling. That's all I can tell you. It's it's very unusual, uh, and it's not something that I've you know paid much attention to. I'm one of the I'm a very much a realist. You know, let's just look at what's going on. And uh, move forward. I'm a optimist. I'm a realist. And uh, get out there and do uh, do what you can. And you guys have heard me say many times, all you can do is all you can do, but all you can do is enough. Well, you know, I I live by that. And uh, this is just something odd for me. And I hope there isn't any. Major reason for me to have that feeling, but it's just there, and it's it's something that's out of character. So, you know, hopefully there isn't anything major negative that's coming along uh, as a result, or that that's foreboding in some way or form. So anyway, um, we're going to see if anybody has any questions for us tonight. If anybody has a question or comment... Can I throw one thing in, Dave? Absolutely. Sure. Go ahead, John. For foreboding, and you know, you're saying like, <clears throat> if people focus on one thing, if if they don't focus on it, that you know, things will go the other way. Well, the New York Times must need um, subscribers because I'm just shocked with the headline <laughs> of the email I just got. Attorney General Jeff Sessions asked officials to look into whether a special prosecutor is needed to investigate the Clinton Foundation. The Justice Department told Congress on Monday that senior prosecutors were looking into whether a special counsel should be appointed to investigate them. The prosecutors will examine reports of misconduct at the Clinton Foundation and the Obama administration's 2010 decision to allow a Russian nuclear energy agency to acquire much of the United States uranium, among other matters according to a letter sent to the House Judiciary Committee. I saw that too, John. That's toasty. That's nice. That kind of made my day. 
if they really will do it. That you, you said the magic words there. If they'll really do it. Yeah, exactly. But, but there's a lot of pressure. There, there, there are enough Republicans, and there's a lot of pressure right now. And, I mean, even... I think Hillary's been thrown in the wood chipper because <laughs> I hope so. I have to, because that thing is from her own side that says she's just so bad, you know. Um they're 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 gonna get the they the Democrats need one of their own for blood sacrifice to get themselves out of their quagmire. Yeah. Um, well, I mean they uh she and Bill may uh, and you know, even Chelsea uh, has become part of it. Um, they made the bed that they lay in, and um, it's it. In in the bottom line is they're going to have to deal with any discomfort they find in that bed. You know, it's the truth for every single person. Karma really is a bitch. She is, yep. and she yep. always, always, without fail, gets her pound of flesh. So it is in your own best interest to always do your level best not to piss that bitch off because sooner or later the chickens do come home to roost. And I've been hoping for the last 10 years that before I die, those chickens get to shit on the Clintons. Either that or the fox that's in the hen house gets them. At somebody, because, you know, usually, like I said, karma, she always gets you. What goes around always comes around. It just never happens as quickly as you'd like, and sometimes you don't get to see it, and I'm just hoping I get to see it. So, again, that does make my day if they really do it. Well, yep. you know, yep. I, I hope so as well. And I'd revise your statement, Dave. I'd say that the maid probably made the bed and Bill messed it up, but they still have to sleep in it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds uh, like a uh, a likely scenario. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. And Bill Bill messed it up while the, while the maid was trying to make it. Exactly. Either, Bill either that threw or the, maid the maid in the bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but anyway, um, guys, it, it, you know, Bill Bonner, I, I don't like his style of writing, uh, but this was good. This was good. Um, it it was something I don't think anybody can deny what was said there, if you've been around and paid much attention to things. Uh, it's all It was all very much on point, but it's, it's a, a matter of, how do you deal with it? Okay. Don't engage. When you run into a snowflake, let it melt all by itself. Yeah, I hear you. Don't even engage. Don't take the bait. Yeah. Because that's what's going on. They're looking for attention. They're looking for a reaction. And if they experience no attention and no reaction enough times, they'll find something else to do. That's just like 
these clowns that through the years used to come on the board here on this call and make a bunch of remarks and stuff. Oh They'd God. be on there every week and everything. Once in a great while, somebody pops up now. And I just very quietly just take and mute them. I don't say anything because what they want is attention. And when they don't get the attention, they just get shut off. And nobody knows about it. They quit coming around, and that's exactly what happened. Sometimes it takes a while. You just got to be persistent in dealing with it. When somebody comes up with a BS, ignore it. If they come up with it again, ignore it. If it takes 125 times, ignore it. Quit watching the news. You know it's not news. You know it's fake. And it's not just CNN. It's the whole mainstream media. There isn't one of them that's worth listening to. You can, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, I like to listen to Fox. You know, if you happen to be more conservative leaning, well, I like to listen to It's still, it's the same old BS issues and conversations. Spend your time doing something more constructive with your life. You know, you only have a limited number of seconds that you will be here and then it's gone. How much of it do you want to waste on BS? I don't care to. That's just my personal opinion. So, for what it's worth, we've got a couple people that have got hands up here. And I'm going to guess that this is more comments than questions, but we're going to go to the man on the road from northern Missouri. Good evening. here. Yeah, how do I lift my hand? You're there, Arizona. You hit star eight. That's how you raise your hand. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How's How's Mister Missouri tonight? Great. Can you hear me now? I, I thought I got stepped on there. Whenever uh, can't hear him, Dave. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, we're having a hard time hearing you. Let me reboot my Bluetooth here. I'm actually driving. Give me two seconds. I'll turn yeah, it back uh, on. We're hearing you good right now. Okay. All right. How about now? Well, yeah, we can hear you okay. Hey. All right. Uh, double white here. Sorry about all the confusion. Got a couple things for you. Uh, first, some good news. Um in the last six months, I, I went and I had my hormones checked, and I found out that I was uh, low on my testosterone, so I started doing some different stuff. And you may have to start calling me something besides double wide. I've gone from a 46-inch waist down to a 36-inch waist. All right. Good job. Yep. yep. Down from two, I dropped from 260 uh, down to 220, and now the muscle tone's coming back up. I'm back up to 230, but... Slim and trim, 18-inch neck and 54-inch chest and 36-inch uh, waist at the age of 50, 53, almost 54. Looking really How'd you good. do that? Uh, I found out that I had low testosterone, and even though I eat right, it just wasn't enough. Uh, so I got on this stuff called HCG and lipotropics, and those are fat burners, and then on the testosterone, and... Uh, the fat literally melted off of me, and, and uh, uh, sometimes it would come out as waste uh, as my liver was cleaning out my intestines. 
contract and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I, I look like I'm 20 years old again, like back when I was in the service. So, well, hey, that's HCG. great. HCG. And what was uh, the other stuff? HCG and uh, lipotropic. Like lipotropic? Yep, lipo is uh, a big uh, Greek or Latin for fat. And tropic, uh, eh, I don't know. <laughs> but it's uh, lipotropic and HCG combined with the uh, testosterone. And uh, it actually took me about four months to get everything turned around. And I'm, I'm weaning off of everything now uh, where I'm down to uh, one testosterone shot a month. And uh, the HCG, which is the appetite suppressor fat burner, um, I'm down to three injections per week rather than one per day. Uh, the lipotropic instead of every 72 hours, which is the uh, cleanser for the liver and, and all your intestinal stuff there. Uh, that was every 72 hours for the first month, and now that's once a month. So now it's more of a maintenance thing than anything else. Wow, was this a regular doctor or your or a weight or bar, bariatric? Uh, hormone therapy replacement. That's and, cool. Uh, yeah, they have them everywhere. They have them everywhere. Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely amazing. And whenever you know you you walk in front of the mirror and you see yourself, you know, ten inches smaller on your waistline and and every, you know the the muscle tone is just rippling throughout. My body now. Uh, like I say, I'm going to be 54 here in a couple months. So, quite excited. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. Glad to hear it. Man. So, um, anybody who's not kept up on my saga or is not familiar with it, I had uh, uh CCPA lawsuit against Ditech, which was servicer on two of my notes. Sued them, told them I didn't want the money, I wanted to see the notes. They brought in bogus notes with no assignments, no endorsements, and one of them had a affidavit saying that they had lost the second page. This was a true copy. So once I did that, I accepted their money. They did write a check to cash, and uh, we came to an agreement that I wouldn't sue them again for those violations, and I haven't. So. Unbeknownst to me, this is just for anybody who's a newbie like I was. Whenever they bring in the, the handwritten agreement or settlement when you're in mediation, if you don't physically correct that piece of paper right there before they walk out of the room and you sign it as is, you're bound by that contract. You bought it. You absolutely bought it. That was my mistake as, as a first-timer. In, in mediation, uh, I, I agreed to their contract, but I said I want these items here stricken, and they said okay, I'm here, and I did. So, screwed myself on that, but thank goodness I have an attorney who's sharp, and uh, like I told him, see what happens when you cut me loose on my own and let me do my own thing. I said you shouldn't do that. So. He agreed to go with me. He saw the uh, bogus notes, and these are MERS assigned notes, uh, registered notes. MERS registered notes were shredded by Countrywide. Um, 
story there. And so what happened is now I, I, I couldn't sue them for the infractions, the things they had done in the past, but anything new that comes up, I can sue them for that. So what we devised was I stopped paying my notes almost two years ago. Those two on uh, by my, my attorney's suggestion. So they finally started the bankruptcy process, and we were getting ready to start filing different motions and go in and do battle. And I said, I don't want to do this. I want to go in and file. Uh, They're going to uh, 11. So we did the BK 11, and now they have to do what's called a proof of claim. A proof of claim is the federal bankruptcy courts uh, form 3001, and what that does is it makes them prove up their claims. So I don't have to prove anything, but I have the right to like when MERS signs a note, whenever there's no one going. So that's where we're at now. Uh, we I have received confirmation that uh, they are going to be using the, the, the bogus notes with no assignments, no launches. MERS has, they actually have included an affidavit saying that MERS has transferred the deed of trust and all interest, including the lien, over to Dicheck, which is beautiful. That's what I wanted because MERS can't transfer a lien. They have no right. Uh, have lots of good stuff in the works. Um, the other thing I got uh, that's pretty cool for me is I got my NCLC book today, and that's what I was most excited about. Collection. Uh, Collections Actions Edition. So that's going <laughs> to get about, uh, I don't know, what is it, 600 pages? That'll give me at least two days of reading. I always love learning good stuff. So anyway, uh, that was my good news. I didn't really have any questions. I'm just trying to keep everybody abreast of the situation and, and um, uh, excited. Well, hey, keep us up to date. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad to hear about your weight loss and all that stuff. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You might check that out with uh, you said your hips have been hurting. I Actually, what prompted me to get in there was I was two weeks away from having knee surgery. Well, my, my problem is a little different. Yeah. It's called 70 years old and having done oh, a... Yeah. Tremendous amount of physical work in my life. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm there with you. I've, I've been humping groceries and pushing beer and pop and juice and everything for the last, you know, fine with the military for the last. Uh, well, I started work uh, when I was 15. Biden, I told him I was 16. They finally fired me because I couldn't produce a Social Security card. So, I'm a worker, and. Uh, yeah, you, you still you may check out that testosterone stuff. Like I say, it, it completely changed everything about my physique and how I feel. I feel like I'm 18 years old. I still have my gray hair, but my wrinkles have pretty much dissipated from on my face. My uh, uh, collagen starting to return to my face. 
Okay, I, I can't even explain how amazed I am. Well, that's good. Yeah, like I say, if, you know, you might talk to somebody about that and see. And basically, what it does is it strengthens up the muscle structure. The, the structure is, is held together by the muscle structure, and whenever you build up that muscle, rejuvenate your muscle, and your cells are able to split properly again. Do this. I don't know how much you know about cell splitting and the DNA, how it, how this. Anyway, that's another. I'm, I'm real heavy into the minerals and vitamins too. Um, check out the uh, Beyond Tangy Tangerine. I can give you stories about that to blow your mind. Some people for diabetics that aren't diabetic anymore to clearing up acne to fibromyalgia being completely everything else. So check out that uh, Beyond Tangy Tangerine. I'll jump off. Uh, we've been talking for a long time, but uh, I'll keep date. Hopefully, uh, hopefully this time next year, I'm going to be debt free. I'm going to be calling Dave Dave Ramsey and telling him, "Hey, I'm debt free." And he's going to say, "How'd you do it?" I'm going to say, "I sued everybody." <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to jump off. Thank you. All right, take her easy. Congratulations. All righty. Well, that's that's really interesting what he was able to do there with the weight loss stuff. That's fantastic. It is. Yeah, that's great results. All right, let's go to the young lady in Joyzy. Good evening. Hi, everyone. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. So I I have a um. A stupid moment for pro sex. <laughs> you have a what? A stupid moment for pro sex. Oh, did you do something? I did. Oh. If you recall last week, I got an email from the plaintiff saying it was missing page 21 of 23 of yep. mission. Yeah. So, you know, I made a PDF of the page and sent it to him. Mm-hmm. Forgot to ask him to confirm it. It was late at night. So I go and I put my copy of the admission. I go to um, put it in page number order. And so I get to page 20 where I have two pages. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yep. And I could have swore I double-checked that three times. Well, you know what? If that's the worst thing that happens in your life, you're in great shape. You know what? Right. So I got a question for you guys. This is the scenario. Discovery ends uh, November 25th. So my productions answer was due to um, yesterday on the 12th. Interrogatories are due on the 24th, which is Thanksgiving. And admissions are due on the 23rd. Thanksgiving's the 23rd this year. Is it? 
I'm going to have to check my dates again anyway because it was late when I was figuring them out. I thought it was on the 24th, which is a Thursday, here. Today's the 13th at 7. The 20th will be Monday. And then 22 is Tuesday. Or, uh, 23rd is 20, Thursday. 20th. 21st is Tuesday. 22nd is Wednesday. And 23rd will be Thursday, Thanksgiving. Oh, that's right. 23rd is Thanksgiving. Okay. You just use a different calendar, that's all. Yeah, my own. you got to quit that, though. I know. It's going to mess me up. <laughs> so I'm going to have to do something. But I'm also confused today. I have to to check tomorrow. I looked up my rules, and I would swear they said 60 days for them to answer for production and interrogatory, and 34 admissions. That just doesn't sound right. And I'm looking, and I just read it tonight in Rule 417, and it said 60 days. But I'm looking at a couple of of attorney's pages that said 35 days. They had to answer. So now I'm confused. So well, I'm this gonna... isn't a good time to be confused now because if they get 35 days, then you run out of time. Well, they're really way past this if they get 35 days. Well, when did, when did you serve you served them so that they should have been answered already? Um, I think I was thinking you just did that recently. That was admissions, but I served production on September thirteenth, and okay. I served interrogatories on September twenty fifth. And actually, you guys can answer questions for me. The serve date is the date you mail it, not the date they receive it. Is That's that correct? correct. That's correct. Yeah. Well, I did mail the production, so I have to recalculate those dates because they received but, it on the 13th, and I started my time count the day after they received it. But it's well, the the date I served it according to my rules. Well, there's in federal court and in some of your state courts, but I don't know if all of them, they also allow three days for mailing. So if I mailed it on the 25th, and let's say there's 30 days in the month, let's just make it simple, there's 30 days in that month, and if I mailed it the 25th, then they don't have to answer until the 28th. They don't have to have a postmark on it until the 28th of the following month if there's three days for mailing. But that's only regular mail. That's not if you certify mail, correct? No, that's got nothing to do with how you send it. It's a matter of when you send it. Okay. 
if the if the rule is 30 days plus three days for mailing, and you have a 30 days in a month, like say uh, uh, September, if I mail it on the 25th of September, and the rule is 30 days plus three for mailing, they can wait until the 28th of October to mail it and be timely. Right. Because they're they're serving you effective the date that they put it in the mail, even though you don't get it. As long as they do it, put it in the mail by that date, the thirty plus three, then it's okay. Because I've I've dealt with that particular situation where they have waited till the very last day. Right, I'm gonna have to. To clarify that, because I sure I checked the rules, and it said sixty days, but I'm not That's sure. Just sa- that just sounds. Of course, you're in New Jersey, and boy, they got a lot of weird things there. But it just sounds really odd that they would have thirty days for some things and sixty days for other parts of discovery. Right. That just sounds really odd, doesn't it? Sound doesn't it to you, Terry and John? As well, yes, it does. Well, but you know that's New Jersey. Well, that's what I'm saying. I know you got a lot of screwy stuff in New Jersey, but it just sounds really odd. I don't see any logic in having anything there. They they should be able to answer interrogatories because that's just asking for information. They should be able to do that in in, let's say thirty plus three. You would think. Yeah. But production, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, the federal court requires 30 days. Why would it? Why would yes, a state court be up to 60? But here again, you know, I, I haven't studied the rules of Joyce. They also don't have any limits, which was odd. Yeah, that's what you said. That's why you sent them 185 admissions. <laughs> oh no, I guess it was about 85. Yeah, yeah that cracked me up. <laughs> But, um, you know, I'm just trying to to figure out the next move because I need to preserve my discovery time. So I'm wondering if I need to ask for an extension. Well, if your discovery is going to end before they would be required to answer you, they don't have to answer you. I know. Yeah, so and at I this have, late date, I don't know if the court would give you an enlargement of time, an extension. Hmm. I mean, you don't know if you don't try, but usually you, you you would do some of that stuff, you know, a ways before the deadline. But see, your deadline's coming up in a matter of days. But remember, mine was tight. Yours you was know, tight. I didn't answer to August the 25th, and I had production, the first one, out by 913. Well, well you're talking, now you're talking about uh, you had, uh, when you answered the complaint? Right. That's because that got all delayed. Yeah, you you should have had uh, you you should have gone in right away and 
and said, hey, wait a minute, we, we didn't even start this process until way late because of uh, all this nonsense about me answering. So all of that time that elapsed before that should be tacked on going forward. Uh, well, she didn't tack it all on. I did write her a letter, and she, like, moved everything back 60 days because she had trial in December. And she had discovery ending in October. But how uh, how uh, uh, how long was it from the time that things started until you actually answered? How much of a delay was there? Ninety days, hundred twenty days, sixty days? Well, remember they had they were getting ready to ask for a default judgment. Yeah, but I'm saying from the beginning when they were saying you were served, and the the uh, the court figured you were served according to their their stuff um until you actually answered how much time elapsed during there was it you know 60 days 90 120 uh roughly almost 120 and she only gave you 60 of that yeah from march to july march april may june july yeah you should have you should have had time because you weren't in a position to do any discovery she can't. That's prejudicial to you. That's uh, denying you uh, uh, ample opportunity to uh, do discovery uh, because she effectively shortened your discovery period to 60 days instead of uh, 120 or more. Right, because recall that she sent out a case management order. They don't meet that she just decides and when I wrote her a letter she moved it back 60 days well you say you wrote her a letter or you put a motion before the court no I wrote her a letter and you don't want to do that generally you want to you want to put everything in the docket and and do a motion motion to uh, extend discovery to make up for you know the hundred approximately 120 days lost because of all the other nonsense. Yeah, you well, must they, stay away from writing judges' letters. The um, Her clerks actually told me to write her a letter. Yeah, but what I'm saying is generally that's not a good idea mm-hmm. because that's something that's not seen on the docket. Should you end up with an appeal, you see mm-hmm. what I mean? If you, if you move, If you put a motion before the court in the docket, then they have to rule. They have to grant it or deny it, and then, mm. you know, stuff like that. It makes it a part of the record, whereas uh, uh, just a, a letter is like, eh. That's one of the problems with getting into doing some of the stuff that these clerks say, because uh, in a case like that, you, you aren't getting your uh, all your documentation on the docket like it should be. So I have a question. Um do you have to file your motion and have the hearing before discovery ends? Or do you just have to file the motion before discovery ends? Go to hell, you jack-off fuck. Yeah, well, I don't know who the the mouth is there, but, you know, you can... Uh, you can yeah, just go get bent. Amazing, isn't it? It is. But um no, the uh 
it, well, here again, it depends on your court. You know, you you definitely have got to file it. Right. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, you put yourself at a disadvantage by waiting till you know the eleventh hour here, kiddo. Well, I was waiting out my sixty days. What do you mean? Well, I mean, but you're you know you're talking about wanting to get more time and do this motion and stuff. Um, it's uh, uh, you know you're you're only got a matter of a few days here until you got your deadline. That's generally not a good idea to wait to make a decision on that at that point. Well, I know, and they're closed four days next week. Oh boy, that doesn't help matters at all. I mean, all you can do is is do uh, do that, and uh, uh, you know you're guaranteed you're not going to get anything if you don't try. I mean, right. that's that's the way I look at it. I mean, uh, the bottom line is if you if you don't try, well, you know, you you darn sure aren't going to get it. Right. Because actually, today is the first day. Um, that one of the discovery was due an answer to. Yeah, well, here again, mm. I don't know about the three days mailing. Right. Got to look in those rules. Well, right, the other two things I hand-delivered, I didn't even mail them. So. Yeah, but their response to you, they're allowed three days. Okay. I'll double check that. I don't think that's working in Jersey, but I, I just don't know at this point. I can't remember. I yeah, see, that. that's the thing. Without knowing exactly for sure what the, uh, uh, what the rules say. Mm. Uh, New Jersey discovery deadlines. Superior Court in New Jersey, civil discovery end date. Uh, well, that's not what I want. I know it's, it's rule uh, 417, and then one is rule 418. Rule 4, colon, 24, time for completion of discovery. Time for completion of discovery. Except as provided within the time for each track as Heron described. Track 1, 150 days. Track 2, 300 days. Well, but that's that's the whole length of discovery time. Right. Yeah. So may consent to extend the time for discovery for an additional sixty days. And that's what I think she did when I wrote her about it. I think based on that rule is why she moved it out. Yeah, but see that that, that doesn't uh, account for the fact that you'd already eaten up one hundred and twenty days of your discovery time. Right, correct. You you should have had uh, what track one? It was is yours under track one? 
I have no idea that it really didn't assign a track. Well, track one is 150 days. And she's effectively giving you about, what, 60? Right. Well, jeez. That's 40% of what you're supposed to have. Uh, that's not quite right. All right, rule 4, colon 17, interrogatories to parties. Uh, it may serve uh, written interrogatories related to any matters under rule uh, 4, colon 10, dash 2. The interrogatories may include a request for a copy of any paper, uniform limitations on interrogatories. Yeah, it's 417-4B. Doesn't that say 60? Service of answers. Time. Enlargement of time except as otherwise provided by Rule 4. The party served with interrogatory shall serve answers thereto upon the party propounding them within 60 days after being served with the interrogatories for good cause shown the court may enlarge or shorten such time upon motion. Okay. Option to produce business records and stuff. Yeah. Objections to interrogatory, so yeah, or a copy of any paper. Yeah, I don't see anything here uh, where I'm looking for the uh, see if there's anything with three days mailing or anything. That may be in another section if there is anything like that. Yeah, that is, it's under um, Chapter 1. I don't remember the number. Okay. But, okay, I appreciate, appreciate you looking for me. Okay. So... If the if the three days do apply, I still should get production from them. Uh, and, yeah, sixty sixty three days, and you sent that what September thirteenth. I actually <laughs> sent it September the eleventh. Okay. Well, yeah, that's definitely definitely so, the time frame. Right, interrogatories. If the three-day rule applies, even if you hand-deliver it, then it will be past the date. Well, forget the hand-deliver. The, the hand That's hand-deliver versus mailing uh, I don't think would be an issue. Okay. Because if there's a rule of 30 days plus three, it's, uh, it's 30 you know, or 60 or whatever it is, uh, plus three. Mm. And, you know, the court, is, uh, court isn't going to say, oh, well, oh, okay, since you hand-delivered them, then they don't get the three. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. Here again, it's depends on your court. Right. This is this is one of the things, you know, you guys, we, we talk about this, how different the state courts are from the federal courts. Federal courts are fairly uniform across the country in, in the rules and how things are treated. There are some local rules in various jurisdictions. In fact, most jurisdictions have a certain amount of local rules. Some of them, there's a tremendous number of local rules, like California. 
and others it's fairly minimal. But your state courts, they're all over the map. I'm going to email them tomorrow and ask them if they would object. I wouldn't ask the other I wouldn't ask the other side anything. I'd check with the court and find out what's going on. I oh, I thought they like it better when you try to um Well, if you're going to ask the other side for something at a critical time where they can escape not having to uh you know, uh comply with something, do you think they're going to do something to their benefit or to your benefit? Oh, I don't expect them to say yes. I was just asking so I could say I asked. <laughs> well, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, I didn't expect them to agree. But it wasn't going to stop me yeah. from putting the motion. Well, you know, like, the like I say, you know, you, you, in doing this, you don't know if you don't try. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you much. All right. You're welcome. All right, we're going to go over to Arizona. i got to mute you and unmute you to get you out of the queue. Go ahead. All right, how's everybody doing? Oh, I'm just as fine as frogs here. <laughs> I love frogs here. <laughs> well, that's hey, good. Um, I do too. <laughs> Soft. <laughs> All right, so, um, well, I... Uh, I have uh, recently filed a um, a complaint against a uh, some attorneys. Uh, well, actually, just a law firm at this point. I I kind of I probably should have gone in and named the attorney that I was um, filing a complaint against, also for violations of um, basically not putting the mini Miranda. So I'll give you a little backstory uh, on this. Um, the uh, I, I've uh, been dealing with a an attempted foreclosure now for quite some time, and um, the, uh, so I ended up filing a USDC case in Arizona, um, attempting to you know thwart what it was that they were doing, and um, in in my what do you mean to thwart what they were doing? What well they were attempting they're attempting to uh, foreclose on my property. Yeah, but what did you sue them for, FDCPA? Yeah, part of what I did was um, part of what I did was um, go after them, uh, go after the proposed lender or creditor for violations of the FDCPA. It says right on their document, you know, we're required by federal law to inform you this. Uh, <clears throat> this uh, correspondence is from my debt collector. Yada yada yada. Um, the okay, but all right, but here, I want to I want to mention something here. It's very important for people to understand. I'm not pointing this at you. I just want to get this on the record so people hear it. If they put something in a piece of paper saying they're required to put it in there that this is from a debt collector, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a debt collector. The facts of of the situation determines whether they're a debt collector or not. Mm-hmm. It yeah. makes no difference what they say. I, I want everybody to understand that. You you have to understand what is the legal basis for your claims. And just somebody saying, well, we're a debt collector, 
Well, you know, maybe in their eyes they are, but maybe in this particular situation, depending on what the facts are, maybe they're not. So you always have to look at the facts of the case. Did they did they acquire the right to collect on the alleged debt when it was in default? That's, um, that's well, the key question. Of course, that they did, and they filed documents into the county record that indicate that you know they have those rights. Um, however, as my story continues, um, eventually what happened is I. Uh, is I uh, requested a uh, chain of title analysis on, um, you know, what really happened. And I have totally new evidence um, that I'm, you know, presenting in the appellate court, <clears throat> which might be um, almost moot at this point because it's, um, it's just recently come to my attention of um, these series of transfers and transactions that occurred that are not recorded anywhere. Um, so, um, anyway, in, in doing some of my studies on the website, um, I had been reading up on the portion or the area that identifies attorneys as debt collectors. And I've already known that they're debt collectors in general, but what my situation involves is where, yeah, hang, hang on a second. I got to mute somebody here. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Okay. What my situation involves is where um, they have basically what they, uh, as the as the defense attorneys for a bank, um, they, it's, it's from what I understand, is they are, in fact, debt collectors because right. they're pursuing a claim against me, even though I filed the suit. So when they're while they're defending uh, or you know participating in the litigation, um, that's still I you know I still understand that they are a debt collector. They could deny it until the cows come home. No, they uh, are a debt collector. You're correct. They are a debt collector, right? So yeah. anyway, I filed a small claim in Arizona, uh, just to the Justice Court. They have a little small claims division for under thirty five hundred dollars. I only uh, named the law firm. I probably should have named the attorney also to get uh, two defendants. Um, but anyway, so one of the things they did is they uh, they transferred, they're requesting to transfer the case to the civil division, when uh, which will probably happen as soon as they pay that fee, which they have not done yet. Um, however, I am starting to reconsider, and I, you know, I've heard you guys say before about the district, the federal courts are better places to take these cases because they're you know most of this is federal law and these federal judges are more familiar with these types of uh, claims um, so I, I realize there's a little bit of risk involved with the uh, justice courts and I've I've won in the justice courts before I've I've done you know pretty well uh, the problem sometimes is dealing with these little guys that don't have <laughs> Uh, you know, a pot to piss and right, uh, right. To try to try and get these guys to pay up on the on the judgment, right. Uh, so anyway, so they're moving to transfer it to the civil division, and then now I'm starting to. I've got a few questions here. So first of all, my first question is whether or not it would be um, better, maybe at this point, 
Because what happens is you just basically fill out this simple little form. You you don't have to spell out everything. They just want the basics. You know what happens? Right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's the same right. thing here. Right, and then they come back and they they do this complete defense. You know, with all the background and you know legal uh, arguments and yada yada yada, and you know try to convince everyone. Is that a motion to dismiss? And a motion to dismiss. So it's an answer, right? Uh, in the form of a well, motion. no, you can't do an answer and a motion to dismiss because if you answer it, your motion to dismiss is basically moot. Right. So uh, they just did a motion to dismiss. They didn't even. I mean, they did try to answer, but well, I'm not sure how how you'd put it because in their motion to dismiss, they're laying out all these claims as to that they are not a debt collector, and they're citing different you know, Arizona case law and, and other, other things like that. So um, so that's that's an area that I'm um, a little concerned about. And then also in the, in the case of the so-called lender, um, what they want to call is a default. Based on the chain of title analysis, there was no default. Now, if, if you just look at it from me making payments, to the party that's requesting payments and I stop making payments, well, they want to call that a default, but the reality is is I sent them letters for probably a year before I finally started withholding, sending them any future funds. Um, so well, you sent them letters comment, about what? Demanding a validation of the, of the debt. Because what that doesn't is relieve you, you. Yeah, that doesn't relieve you of uh, obligation to uh, to pay, though. Uh, right, but the chain of title analysis uh, shows tells a different story, way different than what they've done um, in terms of what they've recorded. In um, roughly 2000, uh, 2009, I started getting statements from a, a company other than who I had taken the loan out from. Um, about a year. They changed servicers, in other words? They, they changed servicers. They changed, um, actually, the servicer was, um, well, I'll just say it was countrywide, and then it went to B of A. Yeah. All right. But there was no assignment. No assignment was recorded until probably about a year after I quit making payments. Okay. So if there was, if you want to classify it as a default, then that's where that timeline falls. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, if you quit making payments, you defaulted. Right, I defaulted. But, the, well, the chain of title analysis tells a different story. It, it, it basically states, states that um, with the series of trans, transfers and transactions that occurred after closing, um, that there's no longer a party that can make a claim against me for any alleged obligation. Well, but the fact that you don't make a payment to somebody can be looked at pretty easily as a default by just about any court. You know, well, did you stop? Did you not make payments? If if you if you stand up there and say I didn't make any payments, they're going to say, well, then you defaulted. It's a matter of who has a right then to move forward on that, but you did default. Oh, okay. Um, well, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. But it, it's contrary to what the chain of title analysis 
um, well, but but here again, you can't say, well, I was paying somebody, even if it was the wrong party, I didn't default. you you got to understand that if you didn't pay, then there was a default, okay? But if the question then arises, all right, there was a default. But who has the right to come after you re- relating to that fault, default. Mm-hmm. And it's not the people, it's not the party that's claiming that they have that right. Well, well that's, that, yeah, but that's, that's where your argument is going to be. It's not whether you defaulted or not. If you, if you try uh, and make well, an argument that you didn't default, that's, you know, that's not going to work. Quite honestly, I've always made the argument that they didn't have the authority to, you know, collect payments from me. Or they, uh, what what was owed wasn't owed to them, and they couldn't uh-huh. prove to me who the who was owed. And so, anyway, that's kind of the, so. What happened is I finally got so frustrated, and I thought I had at that time I thought I had the support I needed um, to move forward if uh, anyone came after me, you know, after that. But uh, you know, it's been a long road. I mean, we're talking things that yeah. start way back in two thousand, you know, ten, two thousand eleven. And um, anyway, so they continue to, you know, fight the fight, and I, I, I haven't left the battlefield either. There uh, you go. That's, but, you know. Uh, you know, where I'm at right now, at least in this case, with this small claims uh, court, is, um, you know, basically deciding whether or not I should keep it right there at the Arizona, you know, Justice Court or if I should consider moving it to a federal jurisdiction or you can't you can't move it the only way you could uh, that you could move it would be to dismiss at the state level and then refile at federal I see okay that makes sense Um, because you just so everybody understands the process a plaintiff cannot move something from a state court to federal only a defendant can do that and they have to do it within a certain specified period of time usually within 30 days right okay so i guess basically what i've got to do is i've got to prepare a response um or a reply to their or opposition to their motion to dismiss right and basically sell them sell the judge on the, the the fact that they are a debt collector by definition. Um, Times versus Jenkins. Right, yeah, and I've seen that on the website. And, and you know, I'm, I guess sometimes you fall into these situations where you have state, you know, state decisions and then you have federal decisions. And well, well, yeah, but, 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 wait, but wait a second. Stop and think about something. You brought your action under the FDCPA, did you not? Right. Okay, yes. that's a federal statute. Even though you brought it in the state court, which you can do because that's a, a court of competent jurisdiction. Okay, you can bring it at the lower level even though it's a, a federal statute. But that Hines versus Jenkins is federal case law. In fact, it's U.S. Supreme Court case law mm-hmm. that says they're a debt collector. There's your right. argument right there. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Well, um, I, you know, what what do you think about? Is it too late to join the attorney that was sending? What it was is the email correspondence. 
and I had been dealing with these guys for a long time, but it wasn't until just recently that I discovered that what these guys were doing by failing to put include the mini Miranda um, is a is a you know is a violation in 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 this case. Did they did they uh, did they have the mini Miranda in the first uh, correspondence? None of their correspondence has had okay. Mini, not not the law not the law firm. So I've received email correspondence. I mean, I've got okay, but my specific question was if it was in the first one because I've seen where there's situations where courts have ruled uh, if you know if they did it in the beginning and uh, the people sued when they didn't do it afterwards and they said, well, you you were already put on notice, you don't have to do it every time, which is you know there's courts that have ruled both ways. But I've seen where people have lost making a claim for subsequently not doing it, but when they did it in the beginning. But if they never did it in the beginning, then you got them by the short hairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have not seen anything from these guys. As a matter of fact, they were even offering me opportunities, uh, you know, for modifications and that type of thing, which clearly makes them a debt collector, you know, for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, but Heinz okay, versus um, Jenkins under the uh, because right. that's a federal mm-hmm. statute. That was huge. Yeah, I, I saw that. And I'm glad that you guys spent a lot of time on the website, you know, um, you know, putting that out there. But um, just one last thing here, I want to I want to uh, clear clear up in my mind, and that is that when when a party let's just let's just go along with the idea that I did default back in let's just say. Let's just say I defaulted in June of 2010. And then the following June, um, even though I had been making payments to the new purported servicer and creditor, um, it wasn't until a year later that they actually filed an assignment. Now, wouldn't that, wouldn't that, that default, because that default occurred prior to the assignment, doesn't that automatically make them a debt collector? Well, here again, it, it's not when they filed the assignment. It's when they acquired the right to collect the debt. Was well, it in default that? at that point in time? And see, if you were paying all your payments on time... Uh, during the time that, uh, and, and it was not in default, then they would be basically in, in creditor's shoes as opposed to a debt collector. It had to be in default at the time that they acquired the right to collect it. That's what qualifies them as a debt collector. Okay, so you've so got to look at the facts of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so does the assignment identify when they uh, acquired that right? Um, generally, uh, well, because that's what they're that's what they're recording. They're recording that on this such and such date that um, it was assigned to them, transferred or whatever. You know how they uh, okay. <clears throat> Okay, and this was who was trying to collect it or who is allegedly the owner of the obligation? 
This was who the uh, new beneficiary was. The owner of the obligation, not necessarily the servicer. Right, so it was MERS. Okay, MERS was the beneficiary under the deed of trust. And then um, I I just started getting notices from, instead of countrywide, I was getting notices from Bank of America. And I paid Bank of America, paid Bank of America, and then I started writing letters because I started in 2009, I started becoming aware of some of the riffraff going on, going on in the mortgage industry. So... Um, I uh, I sent them you know letter after letter after letter and yeah but but pattern I noticed is that they weren't answering my question yeah and but so the thing I mean, is the, the the thing is they they were uh, collecting or attempting to collect from you but you were still current it wasn't in default well I was at that time correct well if that's if they were trying to collect from you at that point in time, then you weren't in default, then they couldn't be a debt collector. They they acquired that right and were attempting to collect from you uh, prior to when you said, I'm not paying anymore because of the what's going on out here. That's so the default you... date. If okay, it changed so... after that, then that's... Then they potentially are in the shoes of a debt collector, but not in the scenario that you're describing. Okay, so uh, when they did not um, purportedly uh, assign the obligation or the transfer the obligation until what's recorded as let's just say June of 2011, wouldn't uh, in, in Based on what you're saying, as I was already in default, isn't wouldn't that make them a debt collector at that point? No, I don't. I don't. I don't see things the way you're you're stating them. Okay. They were attempting to collect from you as a new creditor while you were still making payments. It went from whoever to Countrywide, right? Right. Or I mean, I, I mean, from Countrywide <laughs> to Bank of America, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Bank of America was trying to collect from you. Obviously, they must have uh, acquired the right because they were sending you uh, notices for payments, and you were paying them, and you paid them for a year. Well, we're only assuming that they acquired the right. I don't well, have evidence that's, that they did. Yeah, but do you, do you really think you're going to be able to prove that it was in default when when they acquired the right? How do you think you're going to prove that? Let me ask you that. Well, that's what I'm trying to clarify is wouldn't the assignment be when they acquired it? When is, are you talking about the date the assignment was filed or the date that they say it was assigned? The date they said it was assigned, which it was dated, uh, it was filed just a few days after. After what? The data was assigned. No, no. The the date that they said it was assigned was that after you were in default? Yes. Well, then maybe you got them on that. Here again, you know, you don't know. You You were paying somebody and you don't even know whether it was legit who you were paying. Right. 
Okay, well, I thought I'd, I was reading on the website where there was some significance to when a debt collector acquires or when a a party, another party acquires an obligation, whether it was before the default or after the default. And in Correct. this case, it appears, even though I was receiving statements from Bank of America prior to that, I began questioning them. Eventually, I quit making payments, but it wasn't until a, a year or so later that they actually filed an assignment that said that they did it at that time. Not two years yeah. earlier when we first started yeah. getting notices from them. Yeah, so uh, actually what they did is they provided you proof to show that uh, they uh, weren't in a position to, uh, well, wait a minute, were they acting as a servicer? It was countrywide, and then uh, it yeah, was the I, I know it was countrywide. Countrywide originated all sorts of stuff. But what I'm saying is, was uh, Bank of America during that period of time acting as a servicer? Uh, during that time, they were acting as a servicer. BAC. Well, okay, it, they were acting as a. It was originally countrywide. Okay, what? it was actually countrywide home loan servicing or something like that. All right, and then eventually it just all just started coming in as BAC. Yeah, yeah. But what what I'm saying is, um, did countrywide and see, I don't know all the details on this. Did uh, countrywide uh, home loan servicing become Bank of America? Home loan servicing, or you know, there's a number of different entities. Jesse has got more details on this. You know, you might you might get on the call tomorrow night and ask Jesse on that because he knows a lot mm -hmm. of intimate details on that as to exactly how to pursue that. I think that would actually be a good idea. You're you're lucky because we do have a call tomorrow night. Yeah, I'm and Irish, I, so it happens all the time. What's that? I'm Irish, so it happens to me all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's been a long battle, and uh, I decided I'm just going to go after these attorneys. I'm I'm sick and tired of their garbage, and uh, you know, they they will find any way they can to twist the truth any way they. Uh, that's their job. I, that's I that's how they make that. their living. Yep, they're supposed to be zealous in in what they do, and. Uh, but sometimes, you know, they it almost seems like they're becoming an accomplice to a crime. Well, they most certainly are. Right. You know, so, they they most certainly are an accomplice. It, it it it's it's not a matter of, you know, there, there's there's no moral compass there. I'm a lawyer. I'll lie, cheat, and steal, and do anything I can uh, to help my client so I can make a buck. That's the name of the game. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So anyway, we uh, we gotta get rolling here. We're uh, we're ten o'clock, and uh, still got uh, our buddy from Missouri's got his hand up again. Evidently, he's got something else he wants to throw out real quick. He might be able oh, to shed a little light because he's dealt with countrywide and some of this stuff. Oh my, yeah. But I would suggest get on the call tomorrow night and ask Jesse. Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. Thank you, much, Dave. Hey, uh, hi, yeah. Gary. Yeah, thanks a lot. Hey, uh, check check on your mortgage there. That, that's the same entities I'm dealing with. Uh, check to see if you have America's Wholesale Lender as the original lender. They were never a lender. They were a DBA. 
there should be an endorsement or uh, transfer of interest from American Soul Cell Lender to Countrywide, from Countrywide to BOA on your notes. So if you don't have that on your notes, then they've lost uh, evidence on the notes. Now, the note is only an evidence of debt. It's not proof of debt. So what they'll have to do is they'll have to prove the debt by having the, the account-level documentation from uh, transfer from A to B, B to C, C to D, and uh, they'll have to prove that up. But that's something you're really going to have to study on and uh, get familiar with. Um, and and I, I, here's, here's the way I look at it. I learned everything I can about everything. And then I hire an attorney because I can educate him on what I need for, for him to do. And that's, that's where I'm at. And that's one of the reasons I went into the uh, bankruptcy. It's probably not an option for a lot of people, but for me it was. So uh, whenever I did the bankruptcy, now they have to prove up their claim. So check that out. And I just wanted to, to get that information to you before uh, before you got off the, off the phone here. Mm-hmm. All right. And by the way, it was uh, Countrywide Bank, a division of Treasury Bank, which... Uh, in some of my research, I found out that Treasury Bank wasn't even a bank until six months after I signed that note. That's correct. And if you'll check yeah. on a lot of your endorsements, or not your endorsements, like if they have an affidavit attached, check your dates on that on whenever uh, the VP of the institution was uh, actually signing. And if you go into their website, they'll tell you most of the time these people were not even in position to do anything or not even employees of the company until much later after what they say these things were endorsed for for whatever reason. So do that and any kind of notary, public notary. Uh, I have one that was signed by VP of MERS on a transfer of interest and reconsignment on one of my notes, which MERS can't reconsign a debt and it says that they reconsign the debt. But the notary, uh, I looked it up from when uh, her name was Lanita Thomas, something, Lanita Thomas, and her office actually is in, in Van Nuys, California. The public notary was located in, uh, uh, what was it? Oh, gosh, Nevada. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, she witnessed the California signature. Sure, she did. Sure, and I did Google. <laughs> Google, Google, Google map search, 126 miles, one way to that office. Now you're going to tell me that every time she signed a piece of paper, she'd go 250 miles to get get notarized? Probably not. So that's a lot of stuff that I just wanted to throw out there real quick before you got off the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll definitely be on the call tomorrow and, you know, visit with Jeff, uh, or I'm sorry, with Jesse. On, yeah, uh, I also he's the master. The, uh, yeah, the uh, dis- the forum discussions. It seems like I, I've been getting a little better responses lately. Sure, and read. I can't tell. I can't. I can't tell you enough. Read. Read everything you can get your hands on about these people. They're all criminals. Yeah. Yes, uh, my, my, my challenge right now is I have filed two uh, USDC uh, cases. The first one was in I think 2013, 2012, 2013, and then mm-hmm. I appealed that, and it was you know, two, two and a half years sitting in the appellate. And then a few months after I got, I lost that, um, the, the lower court decision was affirmed. 
um, they came after me again, and I, the only thing I need, I really knew to do, was to go after some of the other causes and claims that I had. So sure, I, I filed another suit. You know that one lasted about the same length of time. I appealed that, and now I'm at the appellate. The briefs are in, and I just recently entered the chain of title analysis, which shows an entirely different story than uh, what they've recorded in the county records, which, by the way, is um, the the fraudulent or forged recordings would be considered felonies. So sure. those become new issues. So was a Fannie Mae? Was a Fannie Mae? No, Fannie Mae wasn't involved. Here, here's, so, here's the question, though. If, if, on the assignment, is there a date? Yes. It's like, there uh, is a date? Yes. Okay. June 20th of uh, 2011. Go check out your statutes of limitations on stuff. If they have an assignment registered in the county, uh, they may have some case. But uh, like I say, they have to have the endorsements. And, and the other thing, Countrywide was notorious. 83% of their notes were, were shredded after they were registered, after they would do the electronic uh, recording of them. They'd, they'd scan them, and then they'd shred them. So, yeah, I've, I've heard that. Um, the problem is, where do you get the evidence for something like that? They'll actually produce the, you'll, you'll have to make them produce the original documents and have uh, and, and uh, someone set, uh, uh, doggone it, what do they call it, the uh, uh, professional come in and look at it and, and validate or discredit it. Forensics expert. Yeah, so, forensic document examiner. Yeah, so that's the only way you could do that. But like I said, if, if I'm going to go to the craps table with $1,000 in my pocket, and every time I throw the dice, I have an 83% chance of winning, I'm probably not going to leave the table. Right. So, uh, yeah, also, so again, uh, how do you get that information? I mean, are there, is there, uh, are there people out there that are, um, you know, witnesses that participated in that who are who would step uh, Linda. Yeah, there's Linda. I can't remember her name. Linda something. She actually has uh, a deposition in federal court where she attested to the fact that they never transferred the notes to the trusts. And so, if the, if the trust never got the the original documents, then the then the uh, the servicing pooling agreements were uh, not met. Therefore, the trusts don't have legal standing to to do anything. So even though they claim they do, they don't. And Does anybody don't on this call know a uh, Joe Escavel in, uh, in in Texas? I'm not does, familiar uh, with him. Yeah, he does the chain of title analysis, and and he's I've had uh, two other uh, reports that have been done, and his is by far the best. He provides uh, federal and state statutes that were violated in the process of the. Uh, the transfers and transactions, whatever took place, um, and he'll provide an affidavit and appear uh, as an expert witness. And I found his uh, chain of title analysis to be very strong, very powerful. I just have only recently discovered this uh, gentleman and uh, just recently introduced it in my case at the you know 11th and a half hour at the uh, Ninth Circuit. So... There it sits. That probably won't, you probably can't do anything there because you can't introduce new things at the appellate court. Right. So now right. I have to start considering, okay, so what do I what do I do with this then? Because it's very powerful and I'm considering 
filing a new case, but I don't know what the Ninth Circuit issue is going on, whether or not, you know, filing a new case based on the new evidence would be, you know, something I should, because there's a ton, all of a sudden that opens up so many doors of violations of the FDCPA, it's ridiculous. Because when you show that there was a different chain of events that happened and these people that are trying to collect from me who are claiming to be creditors, they actually filed fraudulent documents into the county record because there's no way that you could put those documents in there based on what the expert witness says. This is what happened. Yeah. That's what they do. This is very common. This is nothing, you know, nothing that hasn't been explored tens of thousands of times already. Unfortunately, yeah. But anyway, we we got to wrap things up here, guys. We're almost quarter after the hour. Um, I okay. Just second question. Uh, my my uh, credit score has dropped from seven twenty eight to seven ten due to the bankruptcy. But I think that's pretty good for not having paid on two notes in, in almost two years. Yeah, uh, that's that's just fine. <laughs> but the, the question is now, Ditech on the two notes that I haven't paid on. They've zeroed out the the balance owed on those two notes. Have you heard of that? And yeah. payments unknown, debt unknown. That's what they're putting in the credit report, right? That's correct. Yeah. They're saying that that I have zero balance due. Well, in a bankruptcy, that's that's where it's going to end up. Okay. I didn't know what to expect on that. Yeah. So. All right, well, that yeah. was my question. Thanks. Okay, yeah. And the gentleman in California, um, uh, our buddy uh, Double Wide from Missouri that was talking about there and his bankruptcy, please keep in mind that his bankruptcy wasn't just a regular, you know, like a Chapter 13 or a Chapter 7 BK. He did a Chapter 11, which is much different, much more uh, involved actually, and it's uh, pretty rare for individuals to do that. Businesses do it all the time, but it's uh, uh, very rare for individuals. But he had a very specific purpose and why he did that because it puts him in the driver's seat and the uh, and puts the onus of proving up the debt on the other side. That was the whole thing of why he did that. So it was a very smart move on his part. So it's all strategy. Thank you. All right, you bet. Well, everybody, it's that time. In fact, it's past that time. But uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, uh, uh, John, for uh, joining me tonight. And, of course, as we've mentioned several times, there is a call tomorrow night. There's been a several-week hiatus on the Tuesday calls. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. seems like it was, we had a call just last week to me. I'm the one that moderates so, so it, it seems that way. But uh, anyway, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, Blog Talk Radio, and that's 8 o'clock Eastern Time, Blog Talk Radio. And then, of course, Thursday night, Terry will have her Wednesday night call. She just kind of slipped backwards a day somehow, some way. And she kind of likes it that way, so she's in, uh, at least uh, planning on keeping it that way for a while. But uh, if you're not on Terry's email list to get the uh, information she sends out and a call reminder the first time, send an email to queensongbird at gmail.com. Simply say, please put me on the list. That's all you got to do. So with all that said, thanks again to Terry and John. Appreciate it and appreciate the other contributions, especially uh, uh, double-wide. 
And we'll talk with all of you to join us on Blog Talk Radio tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Eastern. Have a great evening, everybody. Good night. Good night.